Well, you're going to forgive me because I got the cough drop this week. I think last week Greg had the cough drop in his mouth, and this week it's me. Um, um, so it's going to be clinking around in there. I, I hope that's okay with y'all. I've got, don't worry, so that I don't contaminate you at communion. George Chafee's going to step up and hold the bread. and He's, he's bread certified, okay? So you're going to be in good hands. Um, this is the gospel reading today. It's, it's beautiful, and it's challenging, and it's wonderful. It's from Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 35. This is Jesus speaking. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. You must be compassionate just as your Father is compassionate. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Okay, confession time. I saw this bumper sticker. I'm going to translate it for church so I can make it church appropriate. But it said in big text, and maybe y'all have seen something like this, it said, Jesus loves you. That was the big text. And then below it, it said, but the rest of us think you're a jerk. (laughs) I thought, I love that bumper sticker. If I was not a pastor... I would have that bumper sticker. Actually, I wouldn't, but I would want it, or at least want it on a shirt that I could wear around secretly at home. Um, God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. That verse, that bumper sticker plays on this idea, Jesus loves you, we think you're a schmuck, you know? Um, God loves the ungrateful and the wicked, not me. Not you either, I bet right? The ungrateful and the wicked. Anybody like, man, I love those people. Could one of them sit next to me today? I would just be so happy if a wicked person came and sat there, an ungrateful one. Could they come and sit at my dinner table? Please send one to my dinner table or send one to be my coworker. Who of y'all are like, sign me up for loving the ungrateful and the wicked? Not I, right? Um, Jesus says those are the people that God loves and that will be his children if we can learn to love them too. But let me talk about why it's so hard. And I want to give you some examples about the ungrateful and the wicked. And it's hard to pick just one story, but the ungrateful, let's begin there. I was at SeaWorld with my kids a couple years ago. They were little, little babies then too. And um, we were on our way to the dolphin show, and in the middle of this crowd of people, you know, SeaWorld, going back and forth, there's this little child, um, a little boy, he's probably like three or four, just crying. Do you all know how lost children look? You know, they're like crying and they're looking all around. I was like, this child is lost. And so... I stopped, right? And I, I'm, I'm like, hey, you know, have you lost your mommy? Mm-hmm. What's her name? Mommy. <laughs> okay. You know, and, I, and Kevin goes and gets security, and, and Anna and Leah are like, mommy, mommy the dolphin show, mommy the dolphin show. And I'm like, okay, babies, we're going to miss the dolphin show, but we're going to help this little boy. This is what we're going to do. And so we're comforting him. We're trying to figure out what mommy wears and where we might, where did he last see mommy? And, you know, he's just so, just, and I'm like, it's going to be okay. We're going to find her. 30 minutes pass in the hot sun of SeaWorld. The security comes, you know, they're on their walkie-talkies. They're all teenage boys, you know, trying to figure out, like, where do you find mom? And so I'm sticking around. And... Right in the midst of this, after about 25, 30 minutes, there's this circle of people around this kid, you know. This lady walks, pushes two people aside, walks through, grabs the hand of the kid, and turns on her heel and starts walking away. I was like, oh my gosh. 
Because, okay, so what am I expecting when mom comes back? Tears, right, thank you so much, frantic, hysterical, crazy woman, because I'm telling you, if I lost one of my children at SeaWorld, I would be a frantic, hysterical, crazy woman, I mean, crying and kissing whoever it was that found and protected my child. This lady's like already walking away, and we were like, all of us were like, whoa, is that the mother? That can't be the mother. I mean, that's like a thief, you know? And so I, I was like, excuse me, is this your child? And she said, she turns around, she goes, yeah, that little idiot, he can't stay close. And she looked at us and she just sneered and walked away. Y'all, I don't even think that lady knew her kid had been missing for 30 minutes. And she was far from grateful. And my kids were like, whoa, who is that? Like, oh, don't worry. We were still doing what we were supposed to be doing, but there's the ungrateful for you. And the wicked, y'all, I'm a pastor. So I deal every week with the fallout of wickedness, with people crying in my office about how other people have been wicked to them. So I could tell you stories and stories and stories, but let me just pick one. What about the father who said to his kids, tonight when I get home from work, I'm going to take you to the park. But really, he had packed his suitcase. He had set up an entirely different apartment. And that day that he told the kids he was going to come back and take them to the park, the divorce papers came. He never came back. And so the mom, now a single parent with two preschoolers, had been out of the workforce for a while. She got back in. She found them a preschool. They couldn't keep their house because he wasn't helping them pay for it anymore. They lost their home. They got settled in an apartment. Life is starting to get back together again. She got laid off. Last hired, first fired, when layoffs come around. She's at home in the middle of the day. Her kids are still at school. She is sobbing, because she doesn't know how she's going to provide for her kids. And who did she call? Her ex-husband. And he came over to console her. Six weeks later, she found out she was pregnant. Let you put that together. She called him, and she said, this is what's happened, and he said two things. He said, first of all, don't tell my family. I don't want them to think badly of me. And she said, well, what are we going to do? This is, what are we going to do about our baby? He said, it's not mine not my problem. That's your baby. Figure it out. And he hung up the phone. That's why I have a hard time with the ungrateful and the wicked, y'all. Because this mom is sitting in my office crying, saying, I don't know what I'm going to do. What am I going to do, Pastor Laura? Jesus says God is kind, not just to that mom, and certainly God is kind to that mom, but God is kind to that man who has done all that evil to his family, that God is kind, not just to me and my family when we look after a lost child, but God is kind to that mother who could care less, who calls her child an idiot. God is kind to those people. And here's something I never thought I'd say, but honestly, I resonate a bit more with Leviticus at this point than with Jesus. <laughs> Y'all who have read Leviticus kind of know why that's funny, but Leviticus is actually gets a bad rap. Um, but it's, it's a great book, and it talks about um, the people of God have made a covenant. The nation of Israel makes a covenant with God, and God says, if you obey, um, 
blessing is going to come into your life. If you disobey, um, it's going to be evil that is poured into your life. And so the description in Leviticus 26, um, there's this beautiful picture. If you obey this covenant, if you fulfill what you've promised this day, then um, you will live in security. You will lie down in peace. Don't you love that? You will be protected from your enemies. God says all these things. He says five of you will chase a hundred. Isn't that awesome? Like the odds outnumber you and still they're going to run away if you are a righteous, faithful person. Um, your dignity will be restored, God says. God will move in relationship with them. All this life will be poured into their lives. If they are faithful, if they live in a just way, I get that, right? Who here would be like, amen to that? Like, you live a good life, good things happen, right? And then, then God goes on. If, if the people fail, he paints a grim picture. If you fail, if you sin, if you turn away from me, it's going to get bad. The natural consequences are you're not going to like them. Here they are, God says. Sin is going to infect you like a disease. It'll sicken you. Um, your safety will evaporate. God says if you turn away from me, you're going to lie down. And even when you go to sleep, you're going to be afraid. You're not going to feel safe. So God is saying don't go that way. Right? He says, um, you know, five of your enemies are going to chase a thousand of you. You don't want this path. As Proverbs says, Proverbs just sums Leviticus up. The wages of the righteous is life. The earnings of the wicked are death. It's like that idea that we all want the world to be like. You're a good person. Good things happen. You're a bad person. Man, watch out because you're going to have bad things happen. And then we get to Jesus. He says, actually, the full revelation of what, who God is is that God loves the good people, but God will go out and look for that one person who wandered away. That when, they, when the good people bring a woman who is caught in the very act of adultery and say, we're going to kill her because that's what the law says to do, Jesus says, okay, whoever has um, no sin in their life, you go ahead and throw the first stone at her. Jesus is reminding us of what Paul says. As Paul takes that that word from Proverbs, that word from Leviticus about, let me remind you about Proverbs. The wages of the righteous is life, the earnings of the wicked are sin and death. And you remember what he says? He says the wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is life. And so he takes it from what you earn is death or what you earn is life to we have all earned death but what God gives us is life. So I want to I tell you that that was God's actually intent from the beginning, that even in the middle of Leviticus, even in all these things where, y'all, the natural consequence of sin, that is the natural consequence of sin, is that we end up with blood on our hands, that we break things that we care about. But when Adam and Eve are in the garden, remember how God says, this creation is yours. Eat anything you want. This is your world. That tree over there is poison. Don't eat that tree. That's poisonous. Stay away. It's deadly. What are they like? God leaves and they're like, hmm, let's go try the poison tree. You know, and we are their children, always choosing the wrong. And what happens when they eat the poison tree? God says, the day you eat it, you're going to die. And it wasn't a physical death, but their relationship shattered. 
They start pointing fingers at each other. They start being ashamed before each other, and they were never ashamed before. That God would walk with them and hold their hands in the most beautiful part of the day, and now they hear God coming, and they hide behind the bushes. Death. God said that tree is poison, and they went over there like, well, let's try it, and they got death. But God was not content to leave us holding death, to leave us with the natural consequences of our sins. So from the beginning in Genesis, God is trying to redeem humanity. And in Genesis 12, he calls Abram, a man who will become Abraham. God will give him a new name. And he, the, Abram is, a, is proof that you can teach an old dog new tricks because Abram is old when he was called. He was not 90, Helen, but he was 75 when he was called. And he left his home and God said, hey, just go to the place I'm going to show you. How many of y'all like to do that? God just like, just go. I'm going to show you where it is. Just start walking. <laughs> Abram does it. And there comes a point in his life where he asks God, how can I trust you that the promises that you've made to me, which were, um, you will be, your descendants will bless the world. That through Abram's descendants, the world will come to know God. That was the promise God had made to him. And how many descendants did Abram have at 75 years of age? None. Do you see what he was like? He had to wait too. It wasn't like God was like, and next year, Abram, you know, Sarah was pregnant. No. He had to wait. And so he's saying, God, how can I trust that this is going to happen? And you'll find that in Genesis chapter 15. This is one of my favorite, favorite things um, in the history of salvation. But it's also the one I understood the least for a long, long time. So Abram is saying, how can I trust this? How can I believe you? Um, Genesis chapter 15, verse 9. The Lord told him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And at this point, most of our eyes start crossing like, oh, something weird and old and sacrificial is happening here. And um, so Abram presented all these things to him and killed them. Then he cut each animal down the middle and laid the halves side by side. along. And it, he's doing this along a path. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. Some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abraham chased them away. Or Abraham, and you're like, what? This, if you don't know the ancient Near East, you don't know what's happening. So I'm going to tell you about the ancient Near East so you can know what ha is happening so that this story can be your beautiful story for the rest of your life. What's happening here is in the ancient Near East, um, when treaties were made between nations, when nations were at war and one nation defeated another nation, if they didn't totally kill them, they would make a treaty. So the, the nation, often this was Assyria. Assyria was known for these kinds of treaties, and they were big and mean and nasty, and they obliterated everybody. And so if Assyria defeated you, you would, instead of dying, make a treaty with them, a covenant. And you would say, in exchange for our lives, we will be your subjects, we will send you tribute, and we will be faithful to you, Assyria, and you will protect us from other enemies because nobody could stand against Assyria. And what would happen was, to ratify that covenant, you would get animals, kill them, and split them in half and put them on either side of a trail. And the leader of that nation, it, could be, it was often between nations, but it could also be like a king and subjects. And the defeated party, the one that was, had the least power, would arrange this, this bloody path, 
and would, so imagine they're here, would walk up and down between the halves of the animals saying the terms of the covenant. Back and forth, back and forth between the animals. So I promise to be faithful. I will be faithful to the nation of Assyria. I will not break my promises. And we have written record of these things. And some of them say where the king is walking through these broken pieces, sometimes they would actually spell out that the king would say, and if I do not, may I become like these animals. And so oftentimes they would say, and we will be faithful, and if we are not, may we become like these animals, and we will send you tribute, and if we do not, may we become like these animals. Imagine the blood on this subjugated ruler's feet, right? Imagine that graphic portrayal that if I break this covenant... This is what will happen to me. Graphic. And so Abram says to God, how can I know? And God says, go get some animals. So Abram knows, the Lord is making a treaty with me. He's going to make promises to me. So who's supposed to walk through the animals, you guys? Abram, right? He's the one who is the lesser power. He's going to walk through the animals and say, God, I promise to be faithful. And we know he's a righteous man. He was a righteous man. So he's going to walk through those animals. But as the sun is going down in in verse 12, and this is why this is a story I want to stay with you your whole life, God puts Abram to sleep so that he can't walk through the broken animals. And then he renews his promises to him. And he says everything that he's promised him. What will come that hasn't yet happened. And after the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram, laying where he is, sees a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. The Spirit of God that day walked the bloody path, making a covenant with humanity saying, if humanity breaks this covenant, may I, God, become like these broken animals. Do you, like, get it now? That it wasn't like Leviticus is one way and Jesus is another. No, from the very beginning, God has been willing to stand in our place and take the punishment that we deserve. Everybody knows that the wages of sin are death. We know that. And then Paul says, but the gift of God, this gift that while we were asleep, God walked in our place, the gift of God is life. Not life we have to earn, not life we have to be good enough for, life that God is giving us, a gift. So here's my question. Why is it that when I think of the ungrateful and the wicked and, and me I'm talking about, when I hear that, why do I think of somebody else? Why when you hear that God is kind to the wicked and the ungrateful, do you think of somebody else? Shouldn't we be able, like Paul, to say, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners and I am the worst? I had this friend in seminary who I thought it was a total show, but he was totally for real. He began everything he said with, I am a sinner saved by grace. It was like he was claiming that 
The wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life. I am a sinner saved by grace. And that's why, friends, Jesus can say to us, be kind to your enemies, because we were God's enemies. We were standing before the judge, God, king of the world, creator of us, who told us not to eat that poison, and we went right over there and did it. And we have paid and paid, and our hands are soaked in blood, and our relationships are dying, and it's our fault. And the judge came down and stood by our side and said, I will carry that for you. I will put life into your hands instead of death. And I pray you've accepted that. And then I pray that once we have accepted it, we realize that we're called to do the same for others, to be like our parent is, to be kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. David said it like this. He said, um, and I've been reading to you bits of Psalm 23 throughout this study on enemies. He said, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David was a great man. He was a man after God's own heart, but he wasn't perfect. He did sin badly. He did. And if you read in Samuel, you'll see how he was actually in the wilderness while terrible things were going on in, the, in his castle. He was sent into exile for a while. He was redeemed. He found forgiveness. And he said, even in the midst of that, goodness and mercy will follow me. Like little dogs. Have y'all ever been chased by little dogs on your heels? That's what God wants to do for us. Have goodness and mercy chase us all the days of our lives. Not death and consequences, but his gift, goodness and mercy. Life, not in little sips, but life like a flowing river. God walking through the pieces the broken pieces of our sins and saying, I will take this on my shoulders. Because what began in Genesis 15 was fully realized when Jesus spread his arms wide on the cross. When he took the consequences of our sin on his shoulders so that we wouldn't have to. When his body was broken so that I don't have to be ripped apart anymore, so that you don't have to be ripped apart anymore. And when we accept that, then we're invited to share that. Not just invited, we're told that even if this child is called an idiot by a parent for those 30 minutes, I am telling the child that they are loved. That even if that man walks away from his family, the church will not. We will stand by them. And we won't shun that man. When he comes, we will love him too. Because God does. That's who we're called to be. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for calling us not just to the easy things, but to be like you when it's hard for us. To be like you in your mercy and your compassion. And I pray, Lord, that we would, first of all, accept the gift of life of freedom from that bloody path that you are offering to us. 
that you purchased for us when you died on the cross so that no more are the wages of sin, death, and we can't get away from it, but that we would open up our hands and let you give us the gift of life. And then, Lord, as your forgiven people, as people whose hands have been cleaned of the blood, who have been made right and new, help us. When we want to be angry or we want to be judgmental or we want to say that person is beyond your love and mercy, help us to show them mercy, to give of ourselves, to give them money when we know they won't give it back, to serve them in practical ways. And in so doing, Lord, help us to be more and more each day your children, to grow up more and more each day to be like you. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.